Happy Father's Day, Crosspoint. Oh, man. All the things that we never say, right? That's the that's whole gist of that. A lot of fun. We're so glad that you're here today to celebrate Jesus Christ with us as we do every first day of the week. But you know, we come together and it's a very special time, but we want to make sure that we're worshiping God all week long. It's a part of our life. Uh, but what a special time to come together to encourage one another on the journey, but to lift Jesus' name up together in praise and adoration. Thanks for being here today, and we want to say a special welcome to our guests that are here as well. Thanks for joining us and being a part of Crosspoint this morning. All of us realize that we are simply broken people who've made a decision to give our gift sets to God and say, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world, and so we invite you to be a part of that as well uh, here at Crosspoint. Thanks again for joining us. Take a look at the bulletin. Lots of great ministry opportunities going on. We um, have had a a great week so far. Uh, Last week, Kale mentioned several of those things that were going on with VBS and all the great uh, event that happened there and feeding Jesus' story into those kids and uh, just had a great time with those adults as we interacted with those kids as well. And then yesterday, several of us gathered at Fish Creek Trail. We were the hands and feet of Jesus in our community, cleaned up that area. We worked for uh, about two, two and a half hours, and uh, it was a great time just to be together. Uh, and just a reminder about the men's event that is this Saturday, uh, whether you can be here for an hour or the entire four hours, we want you, if you're a guy, doesn't matter your age, to come and be a part of of this exciting night to be together. We're going to have food and a lot of tailgating games. It'll just be a great moment to interact with one another and get to know each other better. So that, again, that's this Saturday. And I was reminded too, there's a table out in the commons uh, with some Honduras coffee on there. It's an interesting story there. We can help out uh, with our friends in Honduras. We know our, our group just came back from Honduras uh, and the, the youth group needs to go to a youth conference. They really want to, but they're trying to raise some money for that. We've got some premium coffee out there for sale that you can take home with you today for 10 bucks or 15 bucks, whichever one you pick. And that money goes directly toward the 600 bucks that they need as a youth group to go to this conference and learn even more what it means to be uh, Jesus' disciple. And so we want to help them out with that. And I would encourage you to stop by the, uh, the table out there after we're done here and see if uh, that That can't be something you might want to take home with you and help out. Well, happy Father's Day, as we've already said numerous times today, but I'm thinking about the story of my dad and growing up with my dad. He he was, uh, of course, a preacher, kind of married to the church, certainly married to Jesus Christ. He loved people, he loved the church, he loves God, and he loved his family. And uh, without him, I don't think I would have the foundation of Jesus Christ in my life that I get to to enjoy and experience now. He taught me the power of prayer, uh, how meaningful the Word of God can be in your life, uh, and just basically surrounding yourself with the people in life that will help you on this journey as you move toward uh, the cross and becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, my dad wasn't perfect by any stretch of the means, and I'm not perfect by any stretch. But I do know that my dad believed in the one who is perfect. And uh, I'm hoping today that you are also making that claim, that you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the one in your life that you know is absolutely perfect. As we think about uh, being fathers today and kids, I am absolutely convinced that adults are simply teenagers in adult bodies. And I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. When I was in Stillwater, uh, I, the first time I got to teach an adult class, I swapped out with somebody and I kind of went upstairs and uh, on that Sunday morning started things out and everyone was already seated in class and immediately I said, we're going to move out to what we would call the commons, the, the lobby area, 
And everybody kind of looked at each other like, is that legal? Can, can we do that? And we were already seated in our classroom and everything. I said, no, no, we're going to do this. And so sure enough, everybody got up and we moved out to the common area and I had a pot and a wooden spoon. And the, the lesson was on unity today and I gave them a, just a millisecond of instruction and I said, I'm going to beat on this pot. And however many times I hit the pot, that's the, the number in your group that needs to happen. Somehow you need to get in a group of, let's say if I hit the pot three times, in a group of three. Ready, go. And they looked very dear in the headlights. They were like, wait a minute, what's happening here? This is supposed to be Bible class. And so sure enough, I hit the pot three times, and they slowly moved toward one another and got in groups of three. And then I changed the number up to four, and they got in groups of four slowly. But by the third time... These folks were smiling and having a good time on a Sunday morning. They were, they were running all over the place, getting in the groups they needed to be until finally the game was over and we moved back into the classroom. But I'm reminded that we really are called to be childlike as we follow Jesus Christ. That's what our, our text is going to be from there, Matthew chapter 18 this morning. I hope you've got your Bibles and you'll turn with me there. Our text is going to be on the screen as well, and I'll be reading from the New Living, New Living Translation of the Bible when we do get there. You know, as a youth guy, uh, for 20 years, I had a great opportunity to have a front row seat to hang out with my boys. We did lots of different things together. We uh, went on mission trips together. We did uh, community service projects together. We went to Six Flags together, had lock-ins together. We uh, had late-night toilet papering events together. We did all kinds of fun things together. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are a parent... Uh, to make the time to go and be a part of your kids' events in that regard. And some of you this morning may be sitting there saying, well, Tim, I only have one or two weeks of vacation a year. I'm not sure that I want to take a week and go to church camp. Yes, you do, because you're going to have a great time while you're there. It may be a little warm, but you will have memories, priceless memories that you will always have with you, and they will too. Even when they're begging you, please, Dad, do not go as a sponsor, please. Go anyway. It's exciting, believe me. It's a lot of fun to have those, those uh, memories. Choose to be with your kids. The gift that we can give our kids, today's Father's Day, but surely any parent, whether you're mom or dad, this lesson is for you. It's the idea that God's calling us to give our kids a gift, and that is to be more childlike in our spirituality. Not childish, childlike. There's a difference in the two. So let's take a look at our text beginning in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1. This story we've all heard before, but uh, I want to give you three or four things for you to take home with you, put in your toolbox as a parent, that I think will help us as we interact with our kids, especially in the realm of God's kingdom. Verse 1, about that time the disciples asked, or came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now this story is important enough that all the gospel writers uh, put it in their accounts. So Mark and Luke John, they have it in their account. I think it's really important that we understand what Jesus is trying to tell us as his disciples in this particular story. But the writer starts out at that time. Now, what time are we talking about? By this time that this interaction happens with Jesus' disciples, Jesus has fed 4,000 people miraculously. He's fed 5,000 people. He's walked on water. 
He's been in the boat with the disciples and calmed the storm. He has healed a blind man. He has raised someone from the dead. And yes, even at this point, the disciples have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they too are doing miracles. These guys that are circled around Jesus have seen a lot, and they've been a part of a lot. They know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that God has called to resurrect, if you will, this kingdom of God. And so on the way, Jesus is at the forefront as they travel, and the disciples are trailing behind, but Jesus can hear what they're talking about. And they're asking the question, who is the greatest? And they're not talking about in the world or the community. They're talking about among us 12. Who is the greatest? When they talk about greatest, they're not talking about their character. They're not talking about their nature of maybe humility or the way that they show love or how they serve one another. The disciples aren't talking about that. They want to know what the pecking order is among the 12. Who is going to be the right and the left hand of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom, when he establishes everything? Who's going to be number one and number two? Now, most of us know a little bit about rank and file. We, we know about a pecking order, don't we? We've got football season just around the corner. Wow, you guys, are, are you all here today? I'm excited about football. I don't know about you guys. We've got the Big 12 that's right, uh, already been ranked. And, of course, some of us are SEC fans. Maybe there's A&M fans in here. I don't know. The first service went, whoop, and somebody did that. But uh, there you go. But uh, as you look at the way-too-early rankings nationally for football teams, what we find is, unfortunately, OU is ranked number three again. Baylor is ranked number seven. Oklahoma State, number 15. That's pretty exciting. No other Big 12 teams made that cut yet. But it's the way-too-early ranking, okay? So things could change, for sure. We know a little bit about the pecking order. We know about asking who is number one and what that means to be number one. The disciples are asking the same question. Who is going to be the most special person in God's kingdom? And maybe they're going back and they're saying, you know, there's Peter. Peter's pretty loud. He's pretty outspoken. He's uh, with Jesus a lot. He seems to hang out with him closer maybe than some of the rest of us. He's got Jesus' ear. But Peter messes up a lot. So maybe James and John are in the background talking about, so it's probably not going to be him. Who do you think is going to be on Jesus' left and his right? The best way to explain this is to talk a little bit about a, a Hebrew dinner. There's always a host, and you go to the host home to to have this dinner, and the the table is always a U-shaped table. The host sits right at the apex, right in the middle of that table. He's the most important person because he's the host. But then you invite all these guests, and the most important guest, the number one person, is always going to sit to the right of the host at the table. He's the number one, the most popular guest. The second most popular person will sit to the left of the host. The third will be back on the other side of number one and so forth until the table is filled up. The least important people in the room will be at the very end of the table. The most important will be right beside the host. And so the disciples are asking, who gets to sit at the table right beside Jesus? Who is the most important in God's kingdom? And so in our story, Jesus does something taboo. Jesus stops to have a teaching moment 
And he sits in the middle of the disciples who surround him in a circle. And culture would dictate, no woman can enter this circle as we're teaching. I am the Hebrew rabbi, and that's the way it is. Equally, no child could enter that circle. But Jesus, in our story, he asked for a child. Mark tells us that the child is small enough that when he comes into the circle that Jesus picks him up, sits him on his lap. And so this child is probably two, three, four years old. And Jesus is trying to make a point here. He's already got their attention because now Jesus has done something that isn't done in Hebrew tradition. So they're leaning in, they're listening. What is he going to do with this child? He says, unless you change and become. Change from what? Jesus calls each and every one of us to change from thinking about the pecking order. Stop thinking about who's number one. Who am I better than? Jesus is calling their attention to this this typical temptation for human beings to really try to pigeonhole us in certain areas and we hope to be near the top. Even ministers struggle with this. No one is immune from this particular temptation. And our enemy would like nothing more than to distract us from really being the person God's called us to be, to be worried about who's number one in the kingdom. And for some reason, for, for us, it, it translates sometimes from the physicalness of life to this kingdom life idea. So maybe some of us think, hey, I've got a really good job. I'm kind of at the top of the pyramid. I make a lot of command decisions each and every day. At the end of the day, I'm the guy who makes the call about what is going to happen. And so somehow along the way, we believe that might translate into kingdom life. Maybe our bank account is really big. We have done well budgeting. We've saved money. And because we have a lot of money tucked away, we think that gives me the right to make some calls, to make some decisions. Surely that equates somewhat to that kingdom life that makes me a little more important maybe than someone else. Or maybe it's your status or position in your community or in a club that you're in, whatever. And Jesus says, you're not even close to the kingdom if that's your mindset probably won't even make it into the kingdom unless you start thinking and acting like this child. And now everyone's leaning in, trying to ask the question, what does he mean? There are some attributes of children that I want to give us today that I think us as adults could probably tuck away in our toolbox and it will help us as we journey through life. Because some of us, if we stay right where we're at, we we kind of live this self-centered, selfish lifestyle, thinking about number one, and that it's all on me. I've gotten to where I am today because of what I've done. And if we're not careful, we'll look a lot like Jimmy Stewart in the prayer that he offers in the movie Shenandoah. Let's watch. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. (laughs) Now there's a guy that's not very dependent on God, I would say, at least his character. And if we're not careful, we could fall into that realm. And so the first thing I want to give us this morning is that we need to be dependent on God. We need to lean into everything that God is for us and toward us. 
We need to be like kids in how they are dependent upon their parents. Just a few weeks ago, Jordan uh, Clemson was born to Spencer and Christine. He was born four weeks early. He's still in the NICU right now. But the second he was born, he was absolutely dependent upon his mom and dad to make the decisions that needed to be made for him to be healthy, for him to begin to grow. He was dependent 100% on the doctors and nurses that were and are attending to him right now. And we in our spiritual life have got to be much like Jordan, that we are absolutely dependent, and our life shows that we are dependent upon our Father in heaven, that he is absolutely the one thing that we need to teach us how to live life and the life, the ignited life that he's called us to live. Many of you grew up learning how to do chores at home. And maybe you've uh, talked to your own kids and taught them how to do chores at home. But our kids and we needed people to teach us, mentor us on how to do some things. I remember out on the street in front of our house in Olathe, Kansas, teaching the boys how to change a tire on a truck. And we got out there and we did that. I taught the boys how to mow, and then we showed them again how to mow in a straight line. I mean, (laughs) you learn how to load the dishwasher a certain way to have the most capacity in there. You learn how to wash a load of clothes, to dry a load of clothes, and yes, even to fold the clothes once you're done and put them away. And the list goes on and on and on. Things that we were taught by our parents that we passed on to our own kids. You see, we are dependent upon those mentors and teachers in our life. And much like we need to lean into and be dependent on God to teach us how to live. To live that ignited lifestyle that God has called us to live. Our kids would not know what to do if someone didn't teach them. And regardless of where you're at on the salary range, no matter what your title or position is, our kids look to us to show them how to be godly people. We mentor them in that regard. Even when tough things happen, if we, if we lose a job or there's a downsizing and so we lose some of that salary or, or maybe we have the loss of a friend to death, how we interact and react in those moments, our kids are watching us. And we're teaching them how we show them because God's in our life. We have peace in the process. That we're on a journey together and God is a part of that process. And they're watching us every minute of the day. And that's kind of scary, isn't it? To know that they're watching to see how does this godly man and this godly woman, how do they interact in life when great and not so great things happen? We're called to be dependent upon God, but we're also called to become uninhibited in how we live out life with God. This uninhibited lifestyle is something that we are called to live under God's reign, if you will. The very first time that I did a zip line, uh, we were at a camp, and I remember the structure was about 50 feet tall. It was made out of a lot of different telephone poles. And you had to, to climb all the way to the top. And once you got up there, then you had to walk across one telephone pole that was parallel with the ground, keeping your balance. When you got to the end of that telephone pole, you stood on top of another telephone pole before you jumped on that bar that you see in the picture. And as you stand there on top of that pole and the wind is blowing and people are screaming at you from down below, jump, you're thinking, nope, I don't think I want to. (laughs) Because it's just far enough away that you're thinking, hmm, I don't know if I can make it. But in order to make it, you have to be uninhibited. 
You have to make a decision that that's how you're going to live life. And God calls us spiritually to live an uninhibited life. To say, in every moment of my life, I want the world to know that I love Jesus Christ. That I believe God is who he says he is and that he's got my back in every single situation. We're called to live uninhibited. In other words, not caring what other people think about us. We have this idea that when we, when we kind of act out in God's glory, if we're singing out loud, maybe raising hands, whatever it might be, that, that someone may laugh at us, somebody, someone may roll an eye. I don't know about you, but I sing a lot in my car, and there are moments at times when I pull up to the red light and I pipe down just a little bit <laughs> because other people are pulling up beside me, and they may think I'm a little strange, but most of the time I don't. I don't really care what they think. Why? Because I'm praising my God. When I'm praying out in a restaurant, I don't really care that other tables may be looking at me and wondering, what are they doing that for? Because I want to give God glory in the moment. I want to live uninhibited. I think I've told this story before. There was a moment when the boys were very young. Rob and I took them to the zoo in Oklahoma. And we are seeing all the animals. And we had a moment where we needed a break. It was a little warm. And so we went to the play area. Robert and I sat down on a picnic table, and the boys took off, and they were running around, a lot of kids running around, parents sitting around. And I remember there was a moment where I looked up, and I promise you, I think there was a beam of sunlight coming through the trees right on Garrett in the middle of the playground with his pants all the way down, relieving himself. (laughs) Garrett was uninhibited in the moment. He didn't care who was there, who was looking, what was going on. But we need to be that type of inhibited when it comes to God. And we don't care what anyone else thinks about us because we're living our life for God's glory. And we want everybody to know how much we love our Savior, how much that we give our life to God. When I was in high school playing football, after football season was over, I would run track. And I would go every single day and I would practice with the track team, but I never once went to a meet. You know why? I was kind of skinny at the time. My knees were really ugly. I ran kind of strange, and I didn't want people in the stands at the meets looking at me running. I did all the practice, never went to a meet. Why? Because I lived inhibited. And God says, it doesn't matter how many people are in the stands. I want you running the race for me. I want you to get out there and be the person that I've called and created you to be for the purpose I've asked you to live life. But some of us live life in this egocentrism idea or we walk through the door and we think everyone's looking at us. Or we think the, the slight of the roll of the eyes or the walking away is for me personally when that's not the case. For whatever reason, we retain some of, that, some of that egocentrism that we have during our teen years where we think when we walk in the room, everyone's looking at us. But we've got to live a life for God that says, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm going to live my life for God. There's a great story that that shows that. Most of us know this story. Uh, God had told the prophet Samuel, I'm no longer going to allow Saul to be king of Israel. I'm I'm going to have a new king, and I want you to go anoint him. So go to the house of Jesse and walk through the door, and I'm going to show you the guy who's going to be the next king. And so he does. He talks to Jesse. All of his sons show up, and one after another, they're paraded in front of Samuel, and God says to Samuel, he's not the one. Nope, nope, nope. He's not it. There were no boys left. Samuel says, do you have any other sons, possibly? Well, there is the youngest. He's out there tending to the sheep. Well, bring him in. 
And the minute David walks through the door into the house, God says, that's the one. And Samuel is kind of in disarray. He doesn't understand what God is doing. But in Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, it says this. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we're reminded in this uninhibited lifestyle that I don't need to worry about what other people think because I want to show God and the world my heart. Now, I know, dads, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute. I know that you can be uninhibited because I've seen you at ball games. I've seen you cheering on your favorite team. I've been with you while we're watching that game on TV or in the car and it's on the phone, whatever. I've seen you become very animated, very excited, jumping up off the couch, kicking at the TV because it was a bad play, whatever. But for whatever reason, we get in this room and there's no emotion. I want to encourage you dads to remember your kids are looking at you to know how to live uninhibited for God's glory. And I want to encourage you out of your shell to show the world and your family exactly what God means to you, but also to become a lifelong learner in the process. To know as you travel through life, you haven't figured it out yet. I haven't figured it out yet. And so I constantly want to be in prayer to God and in his word, kind of rediscovering who God is and what he means to me. In Luke chapter 2, the writer says that even Jesus grew in stature, wisdom, and in favor of all the people. Even Jesus was in the process of learning as he went, and he was the son of God. You and I need to have that same idea. And I remember as a young man, I mentioned this a week or two ago, this used to be a big book of rules, what I couldn't do if I was going to follow Jesus. But as I've gotten older and read and been a part of what God's calling me to do, what I see is an extremely passionate story about a God who is in pursuit of me and who will not rest, who will give everything up in order to have a relationship with me and you. I want my kids to see that passion and love. As I follow God, I want them to see me living that out, to know that I'm constantly longing to interact with God, to know what his will is for my life. And so this morning, I want to encourage you guys as parents to have a place in your house where you always have the Bible out, a place where maybe you pray or maybe you journal. And it needs to be a place where your kids can see you do that. Because again, they're, they're looking to you for their model as to how to live life. Be that lifelong learner. I'll never get over moment after moment in all the funerals that I've been a part of in my ministry career. For guys that did do that, dads that did do that, their daughters sit at the table and that is one of the first stories that they tell me every single time and how much that meant to them. To know that their dad was that connected to God. Incredibly important. Finally, I want us to to live in awe of the Father. I really want us to live a life that absolutely takes in God for everything that he is and just stands in awe of the Father. Now, when my boys were very young, they thought I was Superman. And I think I kind of looked like him. No, maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. But, you know, they would jump off the, the arm of the couch into my arms because they knew I would catch them. They would, at the very deep end of the pool, jump into the pool, even though they couldn't swim, because they knew their dad was there to catch them. 
they saw me build things and move things around the house and they thought I was the strongest guy in the world. For them at that age, I was Superman. I could do anything. We need to stand in that kind of awe of God to realize, man, he interacts in our lives in ways that we can't even fathom. That he, he is the all-powerful, mighty creator. We need to live in that kind of motif in our life and let our kids see that we live in awe of God. In 1993, I went to Hoover Dam to, to see it. Anybody been to Hoover Dam in here? You know what I'm talking about. We, we were out there for the Air Force. We got a day off, and so me and a couple buddies went out to Hoover Dam, and I stood on the edge of that and looked down the face of the dam. It is incredible. I mean, it is an uh, engineering marvel for the, the age and the day that they built that thing. But you stand there and your your jaw just drops. There's no explanation. It is an incredible piece of work. And in our own life, we've got to be like that with God. To stand in awe and just say, wow, how in the world do you know me by my name? You are an incredible God to be adored and admired. The writer in the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 40 kind of nails it down well. He says, beginning in verse 12, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth and has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Does the Lord ever need, has he he ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right? Or show him the path of justice? No. For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks the whole earth up as if it were a grain of sand. The Lord is the everlasting God and the creator of all the earth. Wow. The writer specifies we can't even fathom the person who is chasing after us. We stand in awe of him. And on Mother's Day a few weeks ago, I I said, moms, leave a legacy for your kids. And today I ask dads to do the same thing, to leave a legacy for your kids, to let them see how very important God is for you in your life, to live that ignited lifestyle so there is no question that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and that you will spare nothing to let them know and mentor them in such a way that they also feel that way about God. I want you to live a life that reflects your realization that you know you too are a child, a child of the King. He desperately wants a relationship with you. I'm gonna invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time and I'm going to ask the shepherds and their wives as we sing to gather along the wall. You are very special to God. He loves you so very much. He is the perfect father. And he's asking you, would you, would you be a part of who I am through my son, Jesus Christ? And maybe this morning you just need prayer over something going on in your life. You, you don't know how to get around it. You don't know how to uh, get through it. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe it's a decision that you've got to make. I want to encourage you to go see one of our shepherds and let them pray with you and for you in that moment. 
But today, I want you to feel the Holy Spirit rest upon you, to feel the call, the strong call of living the ignited lifestyle that we're called to as parents as we pour into our kids the way God and others have poured into us. Let's stand and sing together.